Welcome to the Heart of a Villain, the podcast devoted to the bearded villains worldwide brotherhood and the lives they are changing all over the world. Thank you guys so much for being here. This is episode 46. 46, we are slowly, slowly, but very quickly it seems, trudging upward toward episode 50. And what a great time that's going to be. And uh, man, so happy to be here, guys. Tonight, let me say first off, I'm sporting the Blackshire Villains wear, and uh, so happy to see this finally get here. Ordered this shirt a while back, and uh, yeah, Blackshire boys are doing some really good stuff over there and have some really cool merch. They sent me a nice hat, too, here you can see. I haven't even taken the little hang tag thing off of it yet. But uh, welcome to the heart of a villain, guys. I am, well, I'm not sure what to say about tonight because... Well, we're going to do something a little bit, well, I say this, it seems like I've been saying this a lot more frequently lately, but we are going to be doing something a little bit different tonight. Uh, No, it's not a question and answer, no game show, no quiz show, nothing like that. Um, This week, I did have plans on having a guest in uh, for the podcast. However, uh, that apparently didn't work out for their schedule, so um, on kind of a... Uh, winging a prayer here, we're going to go on something different. And uh, I wanted to keep on pace. I wanted to keep on schedule. And, um, you know, today I'm going to be going out on a very, very, very gigantic limb and uh, kind of join into a tough conversation, uh, one that I will hopefully have, honestly, hopefully that will not push any of our viewers and or listeners away, just knowing that this is kind of a one-time thing, but it's important nonetheless because, well, you, you guys will hear about that in just a second. So please don't forget uh, that since you are here, you must love the bearded villains, bearded men, something like that. So please, uh, you're already on, if you're watching on the live stream, thank you very much. You are already on YouTube. So Uh, Hopefully you have liked and subscribed the podcast and the live stream episodes so you get the little ding, ding bell when the things go off and new videos come your way. If you are not watching on the live stream uh, and you're watching later after the fact, make sure you get that little bell clicked and the subscribe thing going so you are alerted, like I said, of all future videos and live streams uh, when when new videos drop. So, yeah. Yeah. Before I get into this uh, episode of the podcast, I do want to say good luck and um, happy thoughts and a big shout out to our brothers up in Michigan. Bearded Villains of Michigan are going to be doing a outreach at a, I believe, a homeless shelter uh, this weekend. And it's one of the first times they've been able to get out and do anything uh, for a while. So I'm looking forward to seeing some photos and some pictures from that event. It's always good, especially in this pandemic thing that we're still in. It's always good when our chapters are able to find a way to give back uh, in a in a very tangible uh, way. So I'm very, very happy to see them doing that. So <laughs> as I said before, um, I'm going to 
try to um, go out on a little bit of a limb here tonight. Um, as I said before, I don't have anybody um, scheduled for an interview tonight uh, or to replay an interview or anything like that. And that's okay. As I've been told, it's it's okay if, if I talk occasionally <laughs> on the podcast. As much as I think people really don't want to hear from me uh, all the time, sometimes it's necessary. And uh, although, like I said, this is going to be a going out on a limb episode here, and it's not going to be 100% specific to the bearded villains, uh, to specific brothers, uh, or anything like that. But what it is going to do is uh, it is specific to what we as bearded villains, um, as queens, anybody that supports the bearded villains, um, it, it, it's specific to what we are all about. And it's very important, I think, that we discuss um, this because it's a reminder to all of us that even though we are different people, we all have different backgrounds that we come from, we are all brothers, and we are all brothers and sisters. And we can disagree on things, but in the end, we are brothers, and we have to honor and respect our family, and we have to honor and respect our brothers, because that's what it's about, uh, that charity that family, respect, loyalty, and obviously our brotherhood. So um, I'm going to delve into an area that I don't normally like to do, but it's I, I feel kind of compelled to do so uh, with the events that have recently, um, again, once again, come about uh, in our world. And I know that some of you who are not uh, you know, living in the States, hopefully you will still be able to pull a little bit something out of this. But we all know um, the, the specific circumstances and uh, about what's going on in the world and uh, the tensions that have been going on. And I have been hesitant to really delve into that because I want this podcast to be a very positive place. I want this podcast to be someplace that in some, in most cases is an escape. But I feel compelled to talk a little bit about this right now because this is my forum. And these are the people who, the people who listen to this, the people who watch this are people that I respect more than any other. And even though we come from different different parts of the world, even though we come from different walks of life, that's what makes it unique. That's what makes us unique. And uh, I've noticed that lately we have a situation, especially in some of our chats, where we as brothers, you know, will bring things up and talk about things. And even though it's tried to be brought up in a positive manner for a discussion, it's sometimes met with some harsh criticism and some harsh words, and it just divides everybody. But what I want to do is talk for a second um, about some of these these tough conversations. And um, you know, we're at a time right now where everyone, from politicians to athletes to random citizens on the street 
have been expressing their opinions about current events. And I feel that I have a very unique perspective on that simply because of my past work life. So recent events have uh, in this country have caused an already divided country uh, to split further apart, I think. And um, it's one of the most incredible things that I love about the Bearded Villains is that we are such a diverse group of men. And we realize that we can still be a brotherhood, we can still be a family working together to make the world a better place. But we must be, we must be respectful of our brothers. We must be open to listen to each other. And we absolutely, absolutely cannot jump to conclusions based on partial stories, partial things that we hear and or see. As I said before, I'm in a unique position because um, I am, obviously, <laughs> I am a white male. And as such, um, I... You know, some would say I am, um, I have a, a, um, a bias in some way, shapes, or form. But above and beyond that, and I don't want to focus on that, but I am a retired law enforcement officer of over 20 years. I am a certified law enforcement firearms instructor. I am a certified senior law enforcement instructor. So some of the very issues, some of the very topics that have been discussed lately among the public are things that I dealt with on a daily basis. And I wanted to take a few minutes today in this podcast just to kind of mention this. I don't know if it's going to do any good, and it may not do any good to anybody but me. Um, I, have, I, have, um, I have held back from sharing thoughts on Facebook. I've held back from sharing thoughts on Instagram, on any one of the other social media platforms. Because I think when people do that, when they just throw out an opinion, you just leave it open for fodder for other people to come in, comment, and leave. And there is no discussion then. There's just comments. There's just arguing. And I think it's really counterproductive to anything to just throw out an opinion or comment on somebody else's picture or comment on somebody else's meme or somebody else's post. Because honestly, guys, let's think about this for a second. A lot of the stuff that's on social media has been generated by somebody else on social media. And oftentimes these comments and these different things, these memes, these posters, these pictures, these these phrases and things that come up there are things that somebody generates based on the partial truths or partial stories that they heard. There may, there may not be any truth at all to what they're posting. They may think there is, but there may not be. And that kind of goes back to that whole premise of let's not jump to conclusions. Um. I'll touch on that in just a second, but I laugh because, and I'm going to touch on a, a few different things here. And, and I forgive me, forgive me now if I I kind of have some ideas written out on so I can stay kind of on point. 
but forgive me, please, if I ramble or if I kind of jump all over the place a little bit. I've tried to spend the last couple of days kind of screening my thoughts and trying to make sure I have some sort of a cohesive pattern of thought for this. It bothers me when we see celebrities and um, politicians want to be quick to shout their opinion to the world with, without the full knowledge of what's going on. Um, they hear something, they see something, and they immediately want to get on social media and condemn something without the full knowledge of what it is that's going on. Because the sad truth is, is that anytime there is a horrific, tragic event that like what has happened, when these things happen, the truth doesn't really come out right away. We get bits and pieces. So let me just take you back for a second. And we're gonna go. We're gonna go on a little bit of a story. We're gonna go a little bit of a of a history lesson here, uh, as far as my life and where 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 my thoughts come from here. I was hired as a law enforcement officer in 1996. Now, for some of you people who are listening, you may have just been a small child at that time. I got hired on in 1996 as a law enforcement officer. Now, just to take you back, because those of you who were small children or maybe not even born yet back in 1996, let me just remind you what things were like in 1996. In 1996, there was no such thing as a smartphone. The internet was bare bones at best. There were It was dial-up modem. It was, if you wanted to go to what was considered to be a website for any kind of a search at all, it took forever for that stuff to pop up. Full-on images would literally, you'd watch them as pixel by pixel by pixel row, they would show up. So that kind of gives you technology-wise where we were. I, my first cell phone, I had my very first cell phone back in 1993, and when I had, I was looking around the house today for it, and I couldn't find it. I know it's here somewhere, and it's some box somewhere. But I had what, if you research this out, look for a bag phone, for a bag phone, a cell phone. It was this very large device that was about the size of an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper in square size. Had a big head handset that you would pull off of it on magnets. The battery for it was literally twice the size, the thickness of most laptop computers today. And there was no wireless anything. There were wired mics that you could plug into it and put up on your headrest. So that lets you know about where things were back in 1993. Now, when, when I got hired on as law enforcement officer in 96, cell phones were a luxury. They existed, and they looked something like this. Very ugly, uh, very simple. All they did was call. There were no cameras. All they did was receive a signal and you could call on it. And they had this thing called an antenna that you had to pull up on it in order for said phone to work. Then, a little later on, something like this was developed these clamshell phones. 
This was one of mine that I had back in the day. And yes, I'm a hoarder of electronics, so I kept all of my old cell phones over the years. But just to kind of put things in perspective as to where we've come from and to where we are now, this was in 1996. This was 11 years before the first iPhone. And uh, toward the toward the uh, middle of my career, I moved up to a BlackBerry. And that was a palm-sized BlackBerry, literally the size of your palm, had a scrolling wheel on the side of it. It could actually bring up photographs that were emailed to you in your email, although bringing up a photograph on it would take forever. But it did not have a camera on it. The very first clamshell cell phone was the StarTac, the Motorola StarTac. And that was a $1,000 cell phone. You had to pay for what for it for $1,000. You couldn't get it with the service plan when it first came out. The Motorola StarTac, that was fancy as fancy was. And that didn't have a camera on it. And that brings me to a funny little story. And I'll bring up my little story music for you. Because um, this was a fun, this this was kind of a fun story for me, and uh, it, re, it it revolves around the StarTac cell phone, the Star the Motorola StarTac. Um, many of you know that I went to school for criminology in Indiana State. After graduating from Indiana State, uh, I shortly for a short time before I moved up here, uh, when I was waiting to figure out my future and waiting for a police department to hire me on after I graduated, I worked for a few months at the Weston Hotel in downtown Indianapolis as security. And it was in-house security, so we wore plain clothes. And it was a really neat job because in Indianapolis, it was kind of like the sports capital of the world for both amateur and some pro sports at the time. And one of the really cool things that we did, aside from other major sporting events, that hosted in downtown and then the celebrities and or athletes would stay at our hotel. But we had the 1996 Olympic dream team staying at our hotel for a short time for a few days. And I, it was really cool to be able to meet these guys, see them in person, walk around the hotel with, with them. We had to escort them everywhere where they went. We had to escort them in from the back alleyway when they'd come in through the shipping and receiving doors so that they were away from the people. We'd take them, escort them on the elevators up and down, the um, employee-only elevators so that they weren't around the general public. And it was amazing to see, there, it was an amazing time because of so many different things. But one of my fondest memories actually goes back to this whole thing about the StarTac cell phone. And it was the very first time I had seen one in person. And it, it, I just laugh about this now to this day still. It was the first time I actually got to meet Shaquille O'Neal and had a conversation with him. We were up on the top floor of the hotel, st sitting in the open area, lobby area of the 15th floor there. And while we were there hanging out, he was waiting for a couple other players to get out of their rooms so they could go down for practice. And he realized at that time uh, that it was he had forgotten to place a phone call to order some flowers. I think it was roses uh, for, I believe it was his mother at the time. And so he got his phone out, pulled it out of his pocket, and it was one of these StarTac cell phones. And I said, oh, man, I've never seen one of those. He goes, yeah, this is really, he's like, he's like, it's tiny, man. Look at my, it, it barely fits in my hand. 
because you know Shaquille O'Neal's hands and um, I mean it looked like smaller than this little thing does in my hand for those of you watching but so he's on this phone and he's getting ready to call in some roses uh, for his mom and I can't remember what event it was that he was calling us in for but for some reason for the life of him he could not get a signal on his brand new StarTac $1,000 cell phone and he try as he could, he still couldn't get a signal on it inside the hotel. And he was swearing this thing upside and down, talking about thousand dollars for this phone and it won't even get a signal. And I said, if you need to call somebody, let me know. I've got a phone downstairs. So he said, that man, that'd be great. So I ran downstairs to the security office and got our supersized bag phone and I brought it up to him. And the first words out of his mouth when I presented this phone to him were he, he, couldn't, even, he couldn't even say anything. He just laughed. <laughs> he just laughed. And so even though he had this super-sized, super-expensive um, StarTac cell phone, he had to use a bag phone to call in this order of roses for his mom. But that just kind of gives you an idea. Technology, where we were, were at back then. Uh, the first cell phones with cameras, guys, didn't even come out until 2002. I was eight years into my career when that happened. And I will say, I know firsthand that when that happened, things changed. A lot of stuff changed with that one technological advance. And a lot of stuff changed in a lot of different ways. People were able to suddenly share things in ways that they could never share things before. But People also, between 2002 and 2005, something happened. The development of YouTube. Suddenly, people were able to watch all sorts of videos from around the world. And as much as we love YouTube now, what's what we're broadcasting on, as much as I love YouTube... At the time, you didn't realize the full veracity of what it could be. And that is the ability for anyone to upload a video without any context at all. Let's think about that for a second. You can upload a video, share it with the world, and have zero context to what that video is. You can take a video on your phone today. You can edit that video. You can shorten it. You can cut it, leave stuff out, post it as if that's all there is. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's happening on a regular basis, but I'm saying that it's something that we need to be aware of. Every time some video footage comes out of some tragic event. We need to be aware that, first off, we need to think, I want everybody to think about this for a second. When video comes out, that video exists for one reason and one reason only at the time. Because somebody saw something that caused them to want to take out their phone and record it, right? So in that second, they took their phone out and decided to record something. 
what caused them to record that? What was that thing? What was that image? What was the situation that caused somebody to want to press record? In that 15 seconds, in that 25 seconds, in whatever it is that it takes somebody to reach in their pocket, grab their phone, hit record, and process that stuff beforehand to say, I need to record this. What is it that happened that we don't see? What's not on that camera footage? And that's just something I want people to think about. Because more often than not, there is more to a story than what we see. And it's not so much the people that are creating these videos, but even the, the news media can do it too. The news media, and I've seen it firsthand, the difference between a full video clip that was recorded and what was edited for TV, what was edited for video for the internet. And it's, it, can, it can have catastrophic problems. There can be catastrophic um, issues with that happening. So the, the one thing that I want to caution people against is to please pay attention to the fact that everything that's happening is not what you're seeing. There is always more to the story than what you are seeing in that video clip. Now, I've been asked many, many times already in the last week, what do I think about the most recent um, shooting? And I don't want to get too specific into that. This is more or less trying to take a spin toward positivity and recognizing that more needs to be done to have that conversation about what can be done to change things for the better. I agree wholeheartedly that some change within law enforcement is needed. And I say that as a 20-year law enforcement veteran, as an 18-year law enforcement instructor and firearms instructor veteran. Things need to change with time. As time goes on, changes need to be made based off of a whole litany of different things. So we can't sit back and say, because this was always the way it was, this is the way it needs to be. But I can say that because I have been on the front lines and I have been trained, and because I have trained those who need to be trained, I have a unique perspective on this. And so... One thing I the one thing that does bother me a little bit is when I hear people say that you know they're they're quick to condemn law enforcement as a whole and that all this stuff needs to change but they make this they make these statements having no knowledge. Yes, they've seen some video, they've heard about an incident, but they don't truly understand why would that happen? It's not as simple as saying it's because there's a white officer and a black suspect. It's not that simple. Could it be at some point? Yes. But people are so quick to make that assumption, and so much more goes into it. So before you make those suggestions, 
you need to first understand the training and be ready. You, you, I think, as a person that was that would spout out and make statements, questioning things. I think people that need people that want to do that need to be prepared to give suggestions themselves. Don't just sit and shout from the rooftops and say change needs to come, but don't provide any method or reasoning or suggestion on how something could change. Most people don't do that because they don't understand it themselves. Most people don't do that because they don't understand what training already goes on. They just know something's broken. Well, that's easy to say. It's easy to stand back and say, this, this, the problem is, you know, the, the situation is broken and we need to fix it. How? That's the big thing. That's the, that's the, that's the biggest issue I have. One thing that, uh, and this is where I'm going to start hopefully not rambling too much here, guys. But long about the time, about my 10 to 15-year mark in my career, I started to see a change in people's um, interaction with law enforcement. And suddenly it became more about proving that the cop was wrong. It was suddenly more about, why are you harassing me? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Questioning the authority of a law enforcement officer. And where I understand that there may be times when that happens, suddenly now it's become second nature. Videos are popping up all over the place of a simple traffic stop. And somebody's videotaping their interaction with a police officer, and the whole time, all they're doing is cussing at the police officer and not listening to them at all as they try to simply explain why they pulled them over. But they want to confront. They want to be the story. They want to create a problem. They want to confront and be confrontational with law enforcement. That never was the case. But something happened. Suddenly now that's the thing. But if you feel you were wrong, if you feel that the police wronged you in some way, shape, or form, there are methods to address unethical or unjust police actions. But to immediately be confrontational at the first instance of police contact makes absolutely no sense. To suddenly say, just because somebody pulled me over or just because somebody's walking up to talk to me, you have no idea why they're coming to talk to you. But I'm going to be confrontational just because I can. That's the kind of stuff that angers me. In our most recent circumstance that's all over the news right now, I will say this. I don't know, much like anybody else that's listening and anybody else that's been commenting on the Internet, Aside from those involved in the official investigation, you don't know everything. And it may be a while before we know everything. But sourced through many different avenues, I'll say, what I do know so far that appears to be consistent everywhere is that in this most recent recent circumstance, the officer's 
we're dealing with a subject who, one, had active warrants for his arrest. The officers on scene had already attempted to physically detain him. A taser had been deployed and it failed. And the subject had already made it known to officers that he had a knife in the car. Yes, it could be said that every possible attempt always needs to be done to keep somebody from that from getting back into the car, if that's the case. But what we don't see in that video and what we, we've heard in some reports is that they had already been in a physical altercation on the other side of the car with this subject, hence the use of the taser or the attempted use of the taser. So now you have a subject who is willingly, physically resisting and has made it known to them that there's a knife in the car. And so he gets out gets away from the officers and is going back to the passenger compartment on the driver's side where he has made it known that there's a knife, or at least said that there's a knife in the car. Was he going for the knife? None of us know. None of us know. And obviously, all means should be exhausted before deadly force is applied. But my question is this, and this is not to this is not to speak negatively towards any one specific person or any one specific race. I would say this regardless of the race of the individual. But at what point do we attribute some of the responsibility of this, of what happened? to the subject who failed to comply with numerous attempts for the police to gain him under control. At what point do we put some of this on him? He had warrants for his arrest. He was physically resisting arrest, a lawful arrest. This was not somebody being harassed. This was not somebody who was just being picked on because of the color of his skin. This was somebody who had warrants for his arrest. They had a lawful reason to be there. And he was physically resisting. And potentially, you know, possibly going for a knife. That's not known to us. We don't know that. The only two people that know that for sure are the individual that was shot and the officer himself who shot him. we need to be constantly looking at ways to improve on police training. That is an absolute. I've said that before, and that's coming from somebody who was a law enforcement trainer for 18 years. But we also need to address that proverbial elephant that's in the room, the epidemic that is the complete lack of, of respect for our nation's law enforcement officers. And this is something that's not going to be solved by blame. It's not something that's going to be solved by the destruction of all of our cities. This is not something that's going to be solved by celebrities or athletes 
coming forward and sending out tweets. It's not going to be solved by these athletes and celebrities, uh, you know, sharing their opinion, an uneducated opinion in most cases, after watching some cell phone video for a few minutes. Most times before all of the circumstances are known. That stuff only creates more hate. One big proponent right now, one of the big big out, outspoken people that's out there of an athlete nature is LeBron James. And he went on this tirade the other day talking about how scared he is. But the dangerous part about it is when these people speak, and when I say these people, I mean anyone who speaks before they know the facts. It's dangerous to listen to that because they sound like an authority figure, because they're an athlete, because they're a celebrity. People want to get behind them. One of the things that he said in his little, his little speech to the media was, I don't think that the officers were even wearing their body cameras. Okay, right then and there, you make it sound like the officers overtly did something wrong. Guess what, LeBron? That police department doesn't have body cameras. So just that simple little comment there will be taken by millions of people out there to say, this police department or these officers here were doing something wrong. They're trying to hide it because they didn't have their body cameras on. Not every police department in America can afford body cameras. Should it be mandatory? Absolutely. In this day and age, it should be. Most departments that don't have them are trying to find a way to afford them. Guess what? We have celebrities and athletes out there with millions and millions of dollars at their disposal. Let's toss some money at some police departments and make sure everybody gets body cameras. How about that? You want to make a change? Let's start creating a change. Let's use some of that money. Let's use, let's use some of your, your resources to help make that change. But to stand there back, stand back and make critical comments when you don't know the facts, yes, it looks bad. One of the reasons that I was so critical of Colin Kaepernick back in the day when he did his um, his kneeling on the national anthem was because he has, and I think this is the case for all athletes of a name, all celebrities. There are people that have zero outlet. There are people that feel certain ways for things. There are people that should be outspoken for things, but they don't have a platform. Athletes and celebrities have some of the largest platforms available. And I have been one of the I have been saying from the beginning when Colin Kaepernick decided to take a knee, I was against it, not because I thought it was un-American. I didn't like it because I didn't think it did anything. I don't think that 
kneeling and then simply ask, answering questions when people ask you why you're doing it does anything. You want to do something, use your name and your platform to speak out. Use your name and your platform to create programs. And so that's what bothers me. I, I don't think that it's something that every athlete can do because not everybody makes $10 million. There are many athletes that make the league minimum. But those that do and then just simply get out there and tweet, get out there in front of a camera and make comments when you have such a greater platform at your disposable, at your disposal, I'm sorry, than I do. I'm doing a little tiny podcast right now and a live stream on YouTube. I'm lucky if I have 10 people watching at a time, and I'm lucky if 100 people download this podcast in a month. And of all these people that will listen to me, most of them know me personally in some way, shape, or form, and they know where my heart is, and they know that I support and love every single one of my brothers. And they know that, well, they probably don't know. They know from what I tell them about my career in law enforcement that I didn't have an incident where I felt like I unjustly, uh, you know, had any kind of contact with anybody based on race or anything else like that, which I don't. I don't think I did. But today's athletes... And today's celebrities have such a huge platform at their disposal. And so what are they doing right now? We're just not going to play some games. Okay. Are you going to be able to donate? Are you going to take some of your salary and donate that money to programs? Are you going to, you know, help spearhead some things? Or are we just going to sit back, have some conversations with the media this is a time for people to act. This is a time for people to do things, not talk about things. This is not a time to tear down our cities. If you want to truly understand what it is like to be on the front lines as a police officer, if you truly want to understand what it's like, contact your local police department. Set up a ride-along. Check in to seeing about a Citizens Police Academy. Even better yet, quit complaining from on high. You know, Check into the possibility, maybe, of stop living that privileged lifestyle that you have as a professional athlete making millions and millions of dollars and go apply to be, to be a police officer. That gets my respect. Don't stand up there and tell us what we're doing wrong when you don't know what it is that the police officers are dealing with. Yes, I know there are bad cops out there. 
I know there are cops out there that are doing it for the wrong reasons. I know this. And we want to weed them out. People that the the good cops out there want them gone just as badly as you do. But when celebrities, when these athletes get up there and start talking badly about law enforcement as a career, speaking badly about the men and women who put their lives on the line for those athletes, for those celebrities and everybody else who does it with a clear conscience and a good heart every day they go in, who sacrifices the ability potentially to come back to their own family. It angers me when all they do is stand there and say, change needs to come. You don't know what change needs. You don't even know. All you can do is stand there and say, change needs to come. I am challenging you. I wish I could. Be a part of that change. There have been some athletes and some celebrities who have given up their career to make a change. One very specific case of that was Pat Tillman. Remember back in the day? early 2000s, Pat Tillman was an NFL player. He gave up re-signing nearly a $4 million contract and instead, after the events of 9-11, decided, I want to do something about this. I want to make a difference. So he enlisted in the Army. He gave up after what was essentially being, you know, he was on track for a Pro Bowl-type career. He gave up a signing for a new a new a new contract for nearly $4 million. Back in that day, that was a lot of money compared to what they're getting today. He gave it up, said, no, I'm not going to resign. My career is over. I'm going to the military. He became an Army Ranger and was killed in the line of duty. But, you know, you want... We all want change. We don't want to see bad things happening. But we need to recognize that everybody has a stake in it. And it's not just as simple as saying change needs to come. These problems that exist right now are not going to be solved by the masses shouting from the rooftops. It's going to be solved by those who are ready and willing to put their money where their mouths are, who want to stand up and be counted, who want to stand up and make a change. If you want so badly, and if you really want to make a difference in policing and community policing and the community and police relationships become a police officer. You will find it can be one of the most rewarding careers in the world, but one of the most thankless. And the only way to know that is by becoming one. But if you want to change it systemically from the inside out, that's how you do it.
you put your hand up in the air and you, you pledge an oath. And you say, I will put my life on the line to protect the citizens of this area. Then and only then will you understand. Cities are running short on applicants for police right now because the veteran officers that have been around for a while don't want to do it anymore. Because it's so simple to tear down what they're doing. If you think you have the answers, fix them from the inside. Join a police department. It's just like that. It's just that simple. And if you don't want to make that sacrifice, if you don't want to stand up and do that, I I don't... It makes it very difficult for me to fully articulate respect for your opinion. Things happen, and changes need to be made as time goes on in training programs. One thing I want to show you guys, and this is one of these things that unless you're an officer or unless you really pay attention to to what officers do, you may not know this. So I want to just tell you about this real quick. There's a thing called a force continuum. This is where I do my little uh, law enforcement training seminar here for a few seconds, uh, just to let you guys understand what this is. But there's a thing called a force continuum, use of force model. And this kind of gives you an idea of those of you who are watching right now. It basically it basically st- says that based off of a, sus- a suspect or a subject's actions, what the officer's physical response to that should be. And the typical use of force model says that dependent upon what that officer what that officer is encountering, based on what the subject is doing, the suspect is doing that you're dealing with, you have to raise your level of use of force one step above them in order to gain control of them. So... A good example would be if somebody is pushing or physically resisting you in a passive in a in a physically resistant way. They're pushing away from you. You can't just pull them back and hope that you're stronger, faster, or whatever else. So there is a specific use of force model that has to take place that shows you where you're supposed to stay within. Now, one of the things that sometimes is talked about is when is deadly force necessary or when is it justified? And do situations occur where they really need to shoot them or shoot somebody or anything like that? And what I will say is this. A deadly weapon is a deadly weapon. And if that officer is trying to protect his own life or trying to protect his or her own life or the life of a third party and a subject has a deadly weapon, be it a knife, be it a baseball bat, then deadly force is allowed. Now, does that mean that every circumstance needs to have deadly force applied? No, it does not. But 
these are things that occur during training. These are things that you recognize. And the problem, the, 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 the bad thing is, and this is just what's inherent about law enforcement, you can train all you want. You can train, 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 train. But when a potential deadly force encounter comes before you in that split second, you have to react. You can train for that event. And unfortunately, there is a sad truth that there have been officers who failed to react and it cost them their lives. They either failed to see the threat for what it was or because they had been taught, because they had been trained, always make sure just you have to wait that extra second to see it, to do it. You know, they didn't trust their gut. And by the time they saw the gun pointed at their face, it was too late. You can train to a certain extent. But this kind of goes back to what happens if somebody has a knife? Now, I said this before, this most recent circumstance, we don't know if he was going for a knife. We know that the, the, the statement had been made that there was a knife in the car. And we know that he was reaching into the car. It did not look in the video like to me that he was opening the car door to get in the car to sit. It looked like he was reaching into the car. But I don't know. Was he going for something? I wasn't there. I have a video taken from across the street to show us. That's what everybody sees. But I can tell you this. Law enforcement standards today, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent, whether this is something that needs to be looked at or changed— Law enforcement standards today say that if somebody has a knife and they are a threat to you with a knife, especially at that distance, that is a deadly force encounter for a law enforcement officer. Because unbeknownst to most people, there's a thing that has has been challenged as of recent, but it's a longstanding kind of rule of thumb within the law enforcement realm that there's a 21-foot gap. There's a reactionary gap. And it's been proven time and time again that if a straight open situation evolves itself and there is a person with a knife facing off with a person with an officer with a gun and the gun is in his holster, the suspect holding the knife can cover that 21 feet and stab the officer before the officer gets a shot off. That's the 21-foot rule. It takes an average, the average officer, 1.5 to 1.7 seconds to take, to, to draw their, to draw and fire their weapon. That's having nothing to say for any kind of aiming or anything like that. 1.5 to 1.7 seconds. In that time, the average person can cover 21 feet. So even if the officer gets an gets a shot off, they still get stabbed. Bulletproof vests don't don't prevent stab wounds. Now, 21 feet, what's 21 feet? Well, 21 feet is essentially the length of a full-size SUV. Essentially. That ground can be covered in the time it takes an officer to draw and fire their weapon. 
So when we talk about knives and whether or not somebody really needs to fire on somebody with a knife, that's just something to consider. All right, guys, I kind of got off on the rails there a little bit, and I do apologize, but the problem that I have with this is the fact that there's so many people out there speaking, and I understand you're a, people, you're, you are completely allowed to have your own opinions. But I think a lot of times certain aspects of crime is brought in to it when it's not truly a factor. And I truly don't believe that race was a factor in this most situ- most recent situation. But is that does that mean it doesn't happen? No, it does not mean that. Absolutely not. I think you have to look at every single situation that happens when there is a deadly force encounter. And that doesn't mean that we even consider the race of the suspect or the race of the officer. But any time that deadly force is used on anyone by a law enforcement officer, it needs to be investigated, and it is. More often than not, by the laws and the training standards, it's considered justified, it seems, which bothers people because they don't understand the circumstances. No, you can't, you can't just, I'm a firearms instructor and I'll tell you, you can't just shoot the gun out of somebody's hand. That's TV. You do what you can to avoid the circumstance where that happens. But this goes back to, at least in this most recent event, this goes back to, would this have happened if the individual decided, I'm not going to fight these officers here. Take me into custody. You have a warrant. That's fine. You got me. I would have thought that that would have been the responsible thing to do. You've got kids in the car. Why do you want to fight the police in front of your kids? I don't know. I don't know what goes through people's minds. And yes, I understand. Some people might say, as a white male, I'm privileged enough that I'd never had a bad interaction with police because I was one. And I know that there are people that do have that growing up in life. But we live, in a, we live in a day now where everything is videotaped. If that same situation occurred, somebody was been, would have been videotaping them. And all they would have had on videotape was somebody getting arrested. It's sad. It's really sad. Because I don't think in this most recent circumstance that race had anything to do with what happened. But that comes from my end of things. That comes from my side. That doesn't mean that change doesn't need to come and that police use of force techniques and tactics need to be, don't need to be looked into. 
But I have a real problem with people that want a Monday morning quarterback and just sit back and talk about how easy it is. Until you've had a, until you've been in that circumstance, and I can tell you firsthand, it is terribly, terribly. I can't even. I can't even. The words don't. The words are escaping me right now. To have your gun pointed at somebody. It is something that I don't envy. I don't want anybody else out there to have to experience that. Thank God I never had to fire. But that is not something that you want to have on your conscience. It's not something that our law enforcement officers sit back and think about, whoa, wonder if I'm ever going to fire my gun. That's not something they talk about. It's not something that's thought of. I I don't know. I don't know really how to finish this up, guys. I'm just kind of I'm just kind of going off the rails here. I appreciate all of you guys, those of you who are still here for listening. We have brothers in this bearded villain brotherhood who come from all walks of life. I've met many of my brothers who had a much more checkered past than I did. I've met several brothers who have opened up to me and talked to me about interactions with the, with the police that they had growing up. And that includes white brothers. It includes brothers of Asian Latin heritage. It includes black brothers, it, it, everybody. I've heard some that talked to me about how bad their certain circumstances and interactions they had was, but they also talked about there was this one cop, this one guy that seemed okay. If you want to be a part of a change, you have to be willing to stand up and sacrifice for that change. It's so easy to stand up and criticize others when you've not been in their shoes. That's my first response to people when they want to be critical of police. Why don't you go do it? 90% of the time, at least, I hear, I wouldn't want that job. No way. Well, let's not be so quick to judge those who do, who are willing to make that sacrifice for you. Let's instead work to try and better train them. Let's see what we can do to make sure they have everything to their resources. One of the worst fears that an officer could ever possibly have is a deadly force encounter and finding out that it may not have been justified because they felt that it was in that time. That's a fear of everybody. If you're a celebrity, if you're a super rich, fancy athlete, and you have money, you have two choices, as far as I know. Take some of that money and donate it to your local police department so that they can be better trained and they can have better gear. Find those local police departments that don't have body cameras yet. 
donate some money so they can get them. Donate some money so they can get some of the most advanced training systems available so they can do scenario-based training to better prepare the officers. Or better yet, come down off that mountain and put yourself on the line and say, I want to be a part of this thing called the American policing method. I love you all. Appreciate you guys. Guys, if you're looking for an all-natural beard oil that will not only tame your beard and coarse hairs, but make your beard smell amazing and feel soft, check out Pulpo Beard Oils. Veteran-owned and made for today's beards, Pulpo Beard Products combine the best beard ingredients on the market with incredible customer care and customer service. Whether you need beard wash, beard oil, beard balm, or some fun clothing, Pulpo is the place to go. Feel fresh, feel savage, feel confident with Pulpo Beard Oils. Go to Pulpo Beard Oils, that's P-U-L-P-O, beardoils.com. Use the code, the heart of a villain, for a discount on your order. Okay, guys. Hopefully that wasn't too much of a downer. Hopefully that wasn't too much to the point where it's going to cause some problems for people and that people are going to unfollow this podcast and disappear. But it's a challenge to us all. We need to stop the hate. We need to stop the criticism. We need to recognize we are all different people from different walks of life, and we need to listen. We need to, we need to have those tough conversations. I want those conversations. I welcome those conversations. I want to sit down with my brothers and sisters that are out there who have had bad experiences with law enforcement. I want to hear about that. We need to be less quickly to, quick, quick to judge and be more tolerant of each other. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. So guys, I talked to you a little bit about the charity patch, and that charity patch has undergone some uh, renovate uh, revisions and some different things. Um, so for the time being, um, I'm not going to share any new information about the new charity patch with you, but just to be uh, just just to be aware, the plan is still for a release sometime in September, and I will hopefully be able to tease some a little bit more, or possibly give you a full-on reveal in the next week or two. Is the plan? Just to give you a heads up on that. Okay, okay. Guys, I'm going to jump right into what we have as a calendar of events. There's not a whole lot on here, but we do have some things. September 11th through the 13th is the Four Corners Meet in Cortez, Colorado, September 11th through the 13th. Incidentally, I am going to be speaking with some brothers about the Four Corners Meet, I believe, for next week's podcast. So keep an eye out, or rather a, a nice ear out for that one. 
Then September 25th to the 27th, the Bearded Villains Missouri Valley has their second anniversary with a beard competition, vendors, and door prizes. There's going to be a meet and greet at the last hotel's rooftop, 1501 Washington Avenue in St. Louis. The beard competition is from 1 to 5 p.m. at Four Hands Brewing Company, 1220 South 8th Street in St. Louis. There's also a farewell brunch to be decided. Then we've got October 3rd, the Battle of the Beards 2020. October 3rd, Battle of the Beards benefits the Gresham House in Southern Indiana. It's hosted by the Bearded Villains of Southern Indiana. It'll be at the American Legion Post number 44 at 711 State Street in Newburgh. It's going to be a good time. I will be there. Come see me. I need some hugs. Going to do some good stuff down there. Battle of the Beards, October 3rd, Southern Indiana. Then October 16th and 17th, the Florida Summit has officially been canceled, but they still are telling guys, if you want to come down and just have a hangout sesh, come on down. So that weekend is October 16th and 17th for the unofficial. (laughs) No longer named Florida Summit. Then October 24th, finally, October 24th, the Bearded Villains of Indiana have their fifth anniversary celebration. It is undecided exactly, or at least unannounced, exactly what all is going to take place that weekend. But uh, on that day, on the 24th, there's sure to be some good times, hangout sesh, and some charity works. October 24th, Bearded Villains of Indiana. Mark the calendar. All right. All right. Guys, I appreciate you so much for hanging with me. You don't know what it means, especially on a day like today. You know what that music means. That'll wrap up episode 46 of The Heart of a Villain. Please remember you can still buy shirts, patches, pins. Well, you can order them anyway. The patches and all are still in stock, but order the shirts. And you can find all that stuff at theheartofavillain.simplecast.com. I want to challenge you, as always, be the villain that the world needs you to be, guys. Because the heart of a villain never stops beating finally guys as i always say remember it's okay not to be okay if you are hurting please find a brother to talk to remember it's okay not to be okay so for now guys have a great weekend enjoy the week ahead take care and stay safe Cleaning up on hoarders From Blood Jelly and I We come together Transformers So when we meet up Handshakes, bruise, and salutes Every brother is different Fingerprints and attributes One thing in common with the